So, before we begin, we want to have a talk to you. So, we're very interested that this session sold out very quickly, which was a great sign for us, particularly for us education people. And we want to know who's in the room. So, can I ask you a few questions? Can you put your hands up? Who's the student at school? Oh, great. This is great. Uh, who's a university student? Oh, great. Are you teachers? Who are teachers? University students. Great. This is good to know. I have lots of questions for you. Uh, parents or carers? Lovely. Good. Yes. Uh, teachers? Great. Great to see you. Principals? Yes. Yes. Great. We know you're very busy. Good. Good to have you. I, because we're at the Opera House, I'm curious, are there any teaching artists or arts educators that are here? Uh, yes, a few. Great. Good to have you here. Uh, any um, policy makers? Ooh, oh, lovely. Good. Great. Great. <laughs> uh, and any international guests? Yes, great. I know we have two guests from Korea from the Asia Culture Centre in Guangzhou from the Education Institution and another gentleman from Glasgow on a Winston Churchill Scholarship who's here with us for the week too. It's great. And my last question to you is, are there any beautiful failures here in the room today? Okay, Lucy, I think we're going to start. Thank you for that. So, Lucy, we're here today because one of your children had a really checkered past with their education system and experience. And when you diagnosed there was an issue with your child's learning, at what point did you realise she may be the only, not be the only person falling in the system? Yes, sure. Um, just to give you a bit of background, uh, a few years ago, my daughter was finishing her high school uh, experience and probably towards about the end of year 10, she started shutting down her output, started finding school very difficult, getting to school, staying in school, doing the work, uh, following the rules, wearing the uniform, hitting all the marks that you're supposed to hit when you go to school. Mm. And she found the judgment and the competition really difficult to cope with. It made her very anxious. So very often she didn't actually make it to school. She would get ready, start going, and her anxiety would rise and she'd stop in a park, sit down, cry, and think, I can't do this. You know, she found it to be a real struggle. So she wanted to keep going to school. It was important to her to stay. I mean, we talked to her very often about dropping out, is it worth it? Is it worth the threat to your mental health, to our mental health? It was difficult. It was difficult for her teachers. It was difficult for her parents, but it was difficult for no one more than her. However, she wanted to stay. She, wanted to, she said that dropping out would make her feel even more like a failure. Mm. So we got her there. And the day she finished her final exams, the HSC... Curiously, the, the most relaxing three weeks of her whole school experience because the end was in sight. We didn't care about her results. We'd completely let go of any expectations. She came out of her final exam and I got this text saying, it's over, I'm free, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And as a journalist, I felt this incredible urge to write a story. 
and it was difficult because I'm an old school journalist. One of the first things I ever learnt over 30 years ago was you are not the story. You never start a story with I. Mm -hmm. And I started a story saying, I want to tell you a story about my daughter, my beautiful failure, who had just finished school mm -hmm. and had achieved something monumental, but the system judged her to be a failure. So I, I wrote this, this story. I was the editor of a website called The Hoopla, and it was a small website, and we got a, lot, a huge amount of feedback, and I realised at that point that obviously I was, we weren't alone. You'd think you are alone during these very painful times because you, you put your armour on, you put your head down, and you just try to get through every day, sometimes every hour. So when that, when that was published, we got a, a lot of feedback and lots of amazing messages from people, and then The Guardian, who I now work for, picked it up, and it it went tonto <laughs> around the world and I got this incredible avalanche of feedback uh, from people and I realised that this was a much bigger story that went beyond um, my family and my daughter and it was a story that, that, that needed to be told because mm. obviously it touched some sort of nerve. Mm. Um, is it fair to say that this was a healing process or did it raise more questions to be answered? Um, it, well, it, well, yes, it is a healing process because I think um, writers try to writers write to try to make sense of difficult things. I think so. If it was personally difficult to have had this experience, and very personally difficult for my daughter, and I felt like I wanted to get some answers for her. Mm. I wanted to find out what had gone wrong for her mm. and why this child, who is amazing, mm. um, an incredible kid with all amazing strengths, but strengths that aren't judged to be worth anything in the, mm. in the school system that we have, um, and why she was made to feel like a failure. So mm. I wanted to ask those questions for personal reasons, and the more questions I asked, the more I realised that this was a much bigger story. And then, so at some point, you go from a world where only your child matters, and you're, mm. you're suddenly in a world where every child matters, and it's a big story that affects all of us. Mm. So yes, healing um, uh, definitely, because you know you 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 think other people are, are struggling too. Mm. And, and that, that is something I think is um, quite pertinent to this, is that parents very often just say to each other, yeah, everything's great, it's great. Everything's going so well, the kids are great, um, kids are going really well at school, and, and underneath it all, things are actually shit. And you don't feel, you don't feel like that you can say that because you think everyone else is really handling everything. And when you're not, you, as I said before, you kind of hold it in and you barely hold it together. Mm. Um, so when I basically wrote this article saying, you know, I've been having a pretty terrible time, um, everyone else started going, oh, actually, I have too. I mean, curiously, I made contact before I wrote the article in the first instance with an old friend and we hadn't been in touch for like 20 years and we were sort of catching up and she told me that everything in her life was great and her kids were great and they all got amazing marks at school and I sort of went well, well and told her what was going on in my family and then the story came out she got back in touch with me and she said actually you know things have been pretty 
rotten in my life too. I've got two kids with terrible anxiety and mm. so it's sort of like, you know, gave a permission to <laughs> actually be honest. So there's a real stigma out in the community. There's a shame. Well, yeah, I don't think... Being honest? Yeah, this shame is a... I mean, well, I guess it is a, a feeling. Of, it's not... You don't feel sh- ashamed. You just feel... Um, unable to talk about it really because you think everyone else is coping and Mm. um so I guess that is shame it just Mm. seems like that's quite a big heavy word heavy word (laughs) but yeah and and kids feel that shame too and they don't talk about it either and and they it comes out in different ways with kids you know they might be hostile or they might be the funny one in the class but they're, they're, they're covering up the fact that they're anxious my daughter used to sit in class and spend the whole time trying to slow down her breath to try and stop herself from fleeing and running out of the classroom. You cannot learn mm. when, when that's what your brain's trying to do. Um, so, these, so I really wanted to start looking about the way we do school and why it makes so many kids anxious, um, makes so many kids disengaged and bored and drop out. Mm. Okay, let's get into some nitty-gritty of the sausage factory in the Australian system. Um, Jan Owen, who is uh, in charge of the Foundation of Young Australians, in their latest research found that the current state of education was still basically educating kids for the past, not the future. She's quoted as saying, and I don't know if you've met her, she's a great woman, great advocate. She says, I've stopped... (laughs) She's great. I've stopped saying the education system is broken... I now say is not fit for purpose in terms of the very different futures young people are facing. So, Lucy, can you, can you tell us why, in your view, it's not fit for purpose through your experience with your child? Yes. Yes. So, um, there are a number of different uh, tasks that school mm. has. So, we, Jan talks about fit for purpose in terms of... Um, what sort of young people are going out into the world. Um, Also, what sort of workers, are are they going to get jobs? Are they ready to think creatively, uh, work collaboratively, um, think critically? Or have we just been um, teaching them to pass the tests with, you know, Mm -hmm. working out what's going to be on the test, learning what's going to be on the test, rote learning what's going to be on the test, and then regurgitating what's going to be on the test Mm -hmm. as a way of proving their knowledge so they can get the highest possible score Mm -hmm. and then the highest possible ATAR, which kind of corrupts the whole process of education. Um, So what should school be? becomes the question then, if it's not mm. fit for pur- If we're saying it's not fit p- for pur- purpose or it's broken, the next question is, well, what is it? What mm. should it be? And this was part of I wanted, what I wanted my book to do, was to start this conversation about what is the purpose of school and what is the purpose of education. Mm. My daughter found that school did not in any way, shape or form value her strengths. I think school should be a place... And, and, I'm, and I don't just want to talk about her because it's not just her. It's, there would be no book if it, wasn't just, if it was just her. Mm. But, you know, kids should go to school and feel that their strengths are valued. Mm. And yet we've come to de- uh, define su- success in school in a very narrow way and through a very narrow lens because we've, we focus so heavily on 
that which is measured, which becomes what is valued, mm -hmm. which is the academic part of a child, mm -hmm. literacy and numeracy and um, scientific literacy. And there's no one um, responsible in education who will not say that those things are vitally important. They are. But to the exclusion of um, creativity, you know, whole child, um, you know, I spoke to some amazing people who talked about all the other things that we could bring into school curriculums mm. like um, social responsibility, ethics, courage, character, or, you know, all these things that um, are about a sense of self. And we want kids who go out into the world not with a great ATAR, we want kids who go out into the world with a strong sense of who they are mm. and that they have agency mm. because they're going to be facing some very big challenges in the future and we want them to be able to face them with confidence mm. and critical thinking. Mm. And, um, you know, the robots are coming. Mm. The robots are coming with the fourth industrial revolution. We do not need to make our kids behave like robots. We need them to have agency. So we're producing children without the skills needed to sort of hold down a job if you don't do well academically. Uh, and we're producing children who academically are really not critical thinkers for the future and the, the, the challenges and the problems. Um, what I was interested in your book, because it's very well researched, uh, all the academics you spoke to, and you used the word tilted towards the conclusion that intense competition in education, largely manifested by high stake standardised testing from a young age combined with endless exams and the rankings of children is damaging kids, even the successful ones. Mm. So why are our gov governments fixated on, on this type of data and they're not listening to the evidence of the academics? Well, we are obsessed with data collection. I mean, mm. the, we have uh, governments that are obsessed with collecting data mm. on kids. And, I, you know, I, I do understand the need for some sort of monitoring and data collection, but... It has become corrupted in the way we um, administer NAPLAN. You know, little we've got little kids vomiting the night before NAPLAN mm. uh, because they're so terrified. Mm. Uh, kids in grade three, mm. um, it, it's just crazy. Um, and then this, you know, this drive to achieve this number at the end of schooling is it. it we are training kids to be competitive. Mm. And competition is anathema to actually good learning. And, you know, ranking kids... If you care about kids, you don't rank them. And we've come to accept that competition has an unquestioned place in education because it supposedly drives performance. But it is actually a really corrupting influence. Mm. Um, what is school for? I mean, I personally think school is mainly for, like, making friends and finding out what your strengths are. Mm. I'll tell you a personal story about my son recently um, doing a geography essay in his HSC year, and um, he had not quite got the wording right for the question. And it was the night before, the essay was due, and he went online and he asked... He was in a group chat with five friends... Um, and he asked them all, could anyone help him with the correct wording of the question? They all said no, because him doing worse 
would make them do better. So his friends refused to help him because they wanted to get ahead in the race. And so we've come to think as education, as a race. And it almost broke my heart that night, Mm. looking at the look on his face and thinking, really? It's like worth 5% or something. Mm. It's a dumb geography essay in his final year of school and his mates have said, nah, you're on your own. Mm. So what sort of message are we giving kids that, you know, their friendships are less important than winning this stupid race? Mm. Look, um... I thought it was really interesting how you focused on our Asian neighbours uh, in your research, and you have a chapter titled The East Asian Elephant in the Room, and you focused on the work of Dr Christina Ho with um, a really interesting study about the demographic of migration and yeah. cultural diversity shifting in Australia. Yeah. Can you explain to us the impact this is having and why there's a fear of discussing this in our community? Yeah. I think there's a fear, well, to deal with the last part first, to deal, I think there's a fear of discussing cultural differences because people think it's racist to talk about um, uh, these issues. And, you know, I've heard parents whispering (laughs) at the school gate about, you know, there's a Korean kid in my 10-year-old's class and he goes to tutoring every night and on the weekend and he's just trying to get the edge on all the other kids and and no one's wanting to talk about it. openly because they think it's uh, racist to make generalisations. You have to be very, very careful, obviously, talking about these issues mm. because, you know, obviously there, there is racism involved, racism involved in these discussions. It's very nuanced and it's very historical. But Christina Ho's um, mm. uh, uh, research is really interesting because she, she looks at the uh, Chinese diaspora in Australian communities and how um, it affects uh, the culture here and how it works on the ground. And it, and it obviously butts up against education because um, it has actually changed the educational profile in this country because um, they have raised the standards in terms of academic achievement. And this is where the history comes into it. The Australian government... Um, there's this sort of hyper-selectivity that goes on with um, immigrants from China because you have to have a certain amount of money in your bank account and you have to have a profession. So as Christina Ho says, we're actually getting the tiger mums and dads Mm. who see um, education as um, social mobility. And that's, you know, that's obvious and that's the context, of course, it is. You know, education has lifted whole countries out of poverty. Korea, after Mm. the Korean War, the whole country was lifted Mm. through education, which is why their focus on education is so dogged. Mm. Um, So it it is really interesting to talk about these things and you must do it carefully and with nuance. Mm. Um, But it has added to the competition Mm. that is going on in in, um, our kids' lives. Mm And tutoring. I mean, we've got a $6 billion tutoring industry here and everyone thinks, well, I've got to keep up. I've got to keep up. And this is this onerous sense of, you know, having to... I've got to get my kids into tutoring so they can, you know, maybe sit the selective test and maybe get into the selective school. You know. Sounds awful. Oh, yeah. Let, let's talk globally and get a little bit more depressed. Um, <laughs> um, Lucy, there will be op- something optimistic at some point, I'm sure. Uh, Lucy did go to Paris 
and um, she met um, there it is. Andre <laughs> Schleicher um, at the Directorate of Skills for the Organisation of Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, and they're responsible for the program of International Student Assessment, PISA, uh, which examines 15-year-old students in those countries in critical thinking in, and knowledge in mathematics, science and reading. Now, Lucy, tell us about... You're not convinced that this ranking globally no, no, is, no, no. is working and the number no. crunching is yeah. telling a difference. Yes, it's just another level of um, data obsession, really. And, you know, the PISA results are triennial and every three years there's much um, wailing and gnashing of teeth from the politicians who say that we're not doing well enough and we must do better and it's used like a blunt political instrument to bash everyone into shape and so the hierarchy of pressure is drilled down from, you know, mm. <laughs> comes from PISA, down through all the departments of education, through to the schools, to the teachers, to the end user in the classroom, the child. And it, when I started my research, I, I, everyone I spoke to mentioned PISA as like the turning point in, you know, things getting much worse for kids in terms of, you know, this education being a race. Um, and um, so I thought, well, I've got to go and interview Andreas Schleicher, who is called um, the world's schoolmaster, mm. um, because he's you know, sort of overseeing these incredible international um, data collection mm. programs. And, um, and he, you know, he's a really nice man, um, but I felt there was, you know, but he's a statistician. statistician. Mm. And so I felt there's this disconnection between, um, you know, the data and what's happening in people's lives and the stories that I was hearing and experiencing um, and, you know, talking to other people all the time about um, what's going on with kids and how they're suffering. So he, I, did not, I did not feel um, that he really had a good answer for my question about how he reconciles this, you know, overarching pressure from PISA results and every, how everyone says we've got to move up the rankings um, to what's happening on, in, the, in the classroom mm -hmm. and kids feeling pressured. Um, in, in your discussions with him, he did indicate he wanted to improve and have a clearer articulation of the fundamental skills such as creativity, critical thinking, problem-solving, collaboration and social-emotional skills yep. being included in the measurements. So do you think this is sort of the radical change that the system could adopt or are we going to um, be more crazy? Well, I think, uh, you know, well, this is the thing. I mean, we, everything seems to be cheapened by this idea of what we can measure. So after I spoke to him, there was, there was going to be some measurement in social and emotional well-being. So maybe when it's on a graph, we'll start to take it seriously. Mm. But in, until then, there's pain, real pain going on in kids' lives. And, you know, I, it's change is slow, but, you know, I keep coming back to personal stories. Um, you know, I, I understand the need for data and research, of course. I mean, you cannot... I mean, Herr Schleicher likes to say that without data, you're just another person with an opinion, <laughs> which, you know, might be true, but let's not forget the power of personal stories mm. to, to say, well, this is where things are going horribly wrong. Absolutely. Um, uh, because you are from the media, you did raise that um, the international rankings are being communicated in a certain way around the world and mm. the common person is not being made aware 
of these rankings and therefore don't have any opinion about us. Do you think we could be, the media could be playing a different role in how this yeah, is talked about? Yeah, look, definitely. I, I think everyone has to play a role in, in the shifting of the conversation around mm. school outcomes. I mean, we're always talking about academic outcomes. Parents are, teachers are, principals are, politicians are, everyone talks about outcomes. But we have to start thinking about what outcomes we want for our kids. Because, mm. as I said earlier, you know, we are... Um, we want kids to have a sense of well-being, mm. and we're imperiling that just to get a great ATAR. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I came across so many really terrible stories mm. of um, people suffering. Mm. You know, the kids are cutting themselves, plucking out their eyelashes one by one, starving themselves. They risk take, they medicate. It's it, you know, yeah, mm. oh, I, exactly. And um, when I wrote my story. My first story, I got a, a letter that I want to read to you. It's from a woman, a mother. And oh, it's really hard, but I'm going to... I'll read it to you. Mm -hmm. Hi, Lucy. I'm glad your daughter made it. Sadly, my beautiful daughter, Victoria, did not make it. She fell to her death earlier this year on the first day of Term 2. She was only 17. I found out later through notes Victoria left behind that school was an agony for her. And she was so anxious in class that she was un unable to reply to teachers' questions or do presentations. She tried, my God, she tried to cope and was able to sing in the school choir in the safety of a group. But she kept a lot from us and at home was bubbly and talkative. School never told us that she was seeing a school counsellor about anxiety. We are devastated puzzled and left with a life where every day is a living hell without our daughter, our joy. I couldn't care if she did not have her HSC. I just want her back. Mm. Now, I thought about that girl every day I was writing this book. I continue to have um, mm. correspondence with her mother, Linda, and um, it's really, really difficult. Now, Linda so generously... Um, allowed me to have Victoria's diary uh, to, to, have, to excerpt to publish in my book. And it, you, you have your heart in your mouth while you're reading it. Because here is a child saying, when I see those marks, this is a quote, when I see those marks in black and white on the page, I will either jump for joy or I will jump off this building. Mm. So this is the end game when we're talking about the pressure on kids and how we must do something about it. So when, you've, when you know that, when you actually connect the, connect the dots, and this is a thing, we talk about anxiety and depression over here, and we talk about school pressure and, and academic outcomes and everything over here, but kids are now reporting that school stress is one of their main reasons for anxiety and depression. We can no longer refrain from joining the dots. Mm. Thanks for reading that. That's all right. It's, it's difficult. Let, let's talk about, while we're here at this point, the parents' experience mm. in all of this. Um, so there is a line that sticks in my head about how parents are assisting their children to limp through an education system. Is that what it felt like for you? Yes, yes. Oh, God, yes. Every day, just trying to get 
this mm. child across the line. Um, um, and, you know, the system... I'm so sick of individuals having to be the ones to fight the system. You know, kids contorting to try and conform and submit to, to be the round peg to fit in the round hole. Mm. Parents tying themselves up in knots, trying to work out the best way to educate their kids in a system that offers so many bogus choices, which we can talk about as well. Mm. Teachers, system's not working for them. They're burning out. Principals are more likely to be assaulted at a rate of seven times of the general population because they're dealing with, with so much stress and anger. It, the pressure comes from above and down. It is time... I really am... It's time to turn it and, you know, start pushing back to above policymakers to talk about what's got to change in the system because it, it is, this is, you know, what happens with individualism. You know, we're all, we're all atomised and we're all trying to make the best of um, a pretty crappy situation mm. and uh, the system should be working in our favour. Mm. And it's not just for us individuals, it's for society. I mean, we have to... You know, every time a child fails in school, it impacts on society. And so many kids are feeling like failures because we have a very narrow view of success. We need to broaden <laughs> our ideas of what success mm. are. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the... There's so many, it's so rich to talk about this. Yeah. But I want to jump to this article I read last week in the Washington Post about an American school who implemented a no homework policy and all teachers voted for it immediately and over the six months that it was implemented, there was, you know, academic um, achievement still continued. A few parents grumbled, but it was accepted. And when I read what the homework policy was, it's absolutely fantastic. It's what middle-aged people like myself should be doing. Read a good book every night and have your parents read to you. Number two, get outside and play. This does not mean screen time. Number three, eat dinner with your family. That means setting up and cleaning up. And four, get a good night's sleep. So that... that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, homework. I mean, the research has been in on homework for, like, about ten years. It's a complete... <laughs> waste of time and a way to divide families. Uh, so, you know, they talk about evidence-based policy. Well, the mm. evidence has been in on homework for years. years. But the nightmare stories I hear about homework. One mm. woman, I, I was at a talk, doing a talk recently, and a woman came up to me afterwards and said, I'm, I'm at my wit's end. My seven-year-old is crying every night because of homework, because the teacher is threatening the child to go, take the child to the principal if they don't do their homework. So this child is t actually terrified mm. at the age of seven. Um, we, we can talk about what that's doing to that child's sense of what education is. But the, mother's, the mother didn't know what to do. She'd been to the teacher. The teacher said, it's a rule, you have to do homework. So the mother is now doing the child's homework. <laughs> it's, it's like, what? What? So there, what, there are all these creeping abnormalities in our life. I mean, there are all these things that we're coming to just have accept in our lives as normal because of this pressure. But in the last HSC period, the, one, the mental health organisation, I can't remember the name, put on extra counsellors for parents 
who were stressed about their kids' exams. Yet another creeping abnormality in our life, tutoring. You know, kids having to go to tutoring at night and on weekends, Saturday school. What? I mean, you know, these kids are not going to have a sense of who they are if they're spending their whole time mm. studying to get an ATAR. Mm. And so they're going to go out in the, into the world without a strong sense of themselves. And that is a disaster, not only for them, but for society. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump over to um, teachers, because we're on that subject. And it was interesting that, I think it's Misty, the academic, Misty? Misty Adonio. Adonio. Great name for an academic, Misty. Yeah. I want to read your report. I know. Um, lovely too. She talked about developing a very different type of relationship with the teacher. Yes, yeah. Uh, that, you know, teachers cop it with, I went to school, I know everything, I've been there. And th can you talk about that yeah. type of relationship, yeah. which is about well-being? Actually, one of the things that uh, teachers and principals and school people said to me the most was, everyone thinks they know how to run a school because they've been in one. And, you know, it was sort of like, yeah, I know, well, we have all been to school. No, we don't know how to run a school, but you have got our kids in there and we are entitled to say something when things are going wrong. But Misty, oh, well, she just talked about how there needs to be a respective dialogue between um, teachers and parents and... and um, and she said, you know, she was basically saying that uh, parents, instead of asking about their child's grades all the time, you know, talk to teachers about how their kids are learning, um, you know, what sort of learners are they, just shifting conversations at, you know, grassroots level about mm. education. Mm. And so it's not always about whether Johnny's going to get an A or whether he's going to get a C. And, um, and she had a really interesting personal experience because her daughter was a beautiful failure. And she, you know, being a teacher and knowing how things work and had agency, you know, went up to her kids' school and said, when you send your report home, do not dare put a number or a letter on my child. I just want comments. And she was actually in Greece uh, where they had never done anything except grading kids with letters and numbers. And they were like, what? What, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like they, they, so they actually had to write a comment about how their daughter was learning in different subjects. And it was totally easy for them to do that. Mm. Um, and it saved that child, the, you know, feeling like a failure because she wasn't doing well academically. She's an artist. So, yeah, Misty was great. Mm. Um, the book also highlights that many children are leaving school less confident than when they began. And um, the reality seems to be far worse. And we've touched on suicide and mental health and sort of a, a sense of a lost adolescence. Um, there's a really interesting example you give of the California state Palo Alto mm. with the school that was experiencing increase in suicides. Mm. Can you tell us about that affluent world and what it was Yes, creating? Yes, so I went to California to go to um, Palo Alto where there are these two very um, high-performing high schools which are in crisis because over the past five years they've had two uh, suicide clusters, a lot of kids um, taking their lives because of the, the mm. school pressure. Well, the, that is the, the... I mean, you can never really know, um, um, but that's the, the 
what everyone's focusing on is mm. the school pressure. And I interviewed this amazing young woman called Carolyn Walworth who um, wrote this great roar of distress for her generation saying this, is, this has got to change. We are dying, she was saying. And, um, you know, this... I was so sad talking to this girl because she was 17 and she said, I feel like I've, I've not had a childhood. I've lost these years that I'm never going to get back because I've got to study all the time. I've given up my hobbies. I've given up the things I like to do creatively because there's this pressure to perform. And I, and there, I spoke to a lot of other kids as well around the world um, um, who basically were saying the same things. They've, they're missing out on their childhood years. So this conversation about what school is for also then segues into what childhood is for. And we've, we're placing, you know, these, we're drilling down these adult-like pressures onto children at younger and younger ages. And we're stealing childhood, basically, for a lot of kids. And they need to be in the childhood bubble just a little bit longer because, yes, when they do reach 18, they are going out into the adult world. Um, and, you know, we have to let kids be kids. Mm. So a good example of that that we've all probably seen on TV recently with the article of the... Um, Channel 9, 60 Minutes, is the, the Finnish education system. Yeah. Did you get to go and observe? No. I was all self-funded, so I just thought, I can't. I really wanted to go to Finland, but I couldn't. But, um, but the, Finla the Finnish experience is amazing. You know, competition is anathema in the Finns. They actually go out of their way um, not to make kids anxious about their education. They don't have um, t uh, testing until the end of school. Mm. Um, they start school late, they prioritise whole child um, teaching, oh, whole child education and um, studying a musical instrument is a must. Mm. Uh, you know, they've, they've just got a really completely different attitude to, to school yeah. and, and also they have a very equal uh, school system. There's not much difference in, in terms of e equity in the system. We've got a pretty shameful record in terms of equity um, in our schooling system in Australia between the haves and the have-nots. And that's a, another... That's a whole other book. Mm. <laughs> good, good, good to hear that, another book. Um, I know in Finland, every hour, I believe, there's ten minutes of play given to the kids. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and teachers are highly valued. There's a saying that if you can't get into teaching, you can always fall back on the law. <laughs> so... You know, they actually really value their teachers in society. And this is the, another thing that Andreas Schleicher um, is really good on. He says, you know, there's no, there's no system that out that is better than the quality of the teachers. So he really believes that um, trusting teachers... You know, we've got a highly bureaucratic system, a lot of accountability. Teachers hate NAPLAN too. Mm. I mean, it's just, you know, there's, it's just... Not working. Seventy percent of teachers think that plan is <coughs> negative. Yeah, so, yes. yeah. And I don't think parents know that you can. A lot of parents I found didn't know that you can opt out of that plan. You don't have to make your child do that plan. My my youngest just started high school and they asked for his that plan data. I said no. You know why do they want it? Mm. You know they want to put him in a box to work out mm. where he is mm. academically. 
not work it out for yourselves. Mm. <laughs> right. Sorry. So can you talk to us about how we value teachers in our society and what we need to do to support and improve their, their standing in the community? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I think this is a big discussion mm. to have, in, you know, that I, I'm not an expert in pedagogy. You know, I interviewed, interviewed experts. I'm just a journalist who wanted to talk to find out what's going wrong. And, you know, people always talk about, you know, politicians talk about teacher training and um, uh, teacher quality as being one of the issues that we have to address. And to me, that's sort of like putting the blame on teachers a bit too much. Again, we sort of feel like we, we, don't, we don't have to... We shouldn't have to rely on the valiant teacher, the heroic teacher, to overcome a system that should be designed to work in their favour. But we don't trust them. We don't trust them to do what they know to do. Um, you know, Misty talked about um, teacher training and how they're, they're trained to deal with... Um, the mainstream, like the centre, um, and kids who are sort of like, you know, norm, you know, normal kids who don't fall outside. And so when they get to into schools and they, you know, see all these outliers, they don't know mm. how to cope, and they don't have the resources. You know, resources are another issue as well. So l let's turn to the positive things that you discovered. Because uh, there's some fantastic schools out yeah, there yeah. and teachers doing interesting things. Um, I'm really interested in what were the sort of differences that you experienced in those school communities, yeah. um, like with Templestowe yeah. High School in Victoria, with uh, big picture schools, with Stephen Harris and the Northern Beach. Yes, yeah. It, it's all about disrupting authority. It's about, you know, sort of flipping things that... So, you know, there's not this top-down authority, but giving kids some sense of uh, agency over their learning and control. Um, you know, when kids are in adolescence and they're heading towards adulthood, it makes some sense to give them a sense of control over what they're doing. You know, ki kids need to feel like they matter. And if they've just... Ed education is something that is being done to them, they're going to tune out. Um, so, uh, and that's, you know, there, there was that Grattan Institute report out uh, about a month ago that said up to 40% 40, 40 of kids are disengaged from the learning process, which mm. is an unconscionable mm. figure. Um, but the, the places that are shaking things up, it's, you know, student-led learning, putting kids in mm. uh, control, um, age... Uh, Stage, not age. Age, not stage. Or not having year groups. You know, kids like learning at their own rate and pace. Why do we have to have all 10-year-olds? Mm -hmm. You know, when you've got in that group some kids who are learning at 13-year-old level and some kids who are learning at 7-year-old level, why do we have to line them all up and rank them at, and make them before they move on to the next stage? But kids can learn at different ages and they can progress at different ages. Mm -hmm. um, they value social and emotional well-being mm. and, um, and yeah, sort of reduce the testing in their lives at Templestowe College. Mm. There's no competition, no ranking of kids. Um, so, yeah, there are some, some key indicators that... Um, uh, and the kids are happy and learning and love learning. Mm. You know, so many kids get to the end of the school and they think, oh, God, uni... Are you kidding me? There's no way I want to do more of that mm. because you know the, it's become mm. a task mm. rather than a joy. 
To the teachers and training teachers out there, would you like a more flexible, dynamic learning program to deliver? Or is it more, more work? <laughs> would it be less work um, or more work? Because we're talking about individual learning programs that are tailored for the, the child. Is it more work? It's not work when it's fun. Ah. Well, Lego... Which learning should be. That's right. Lego education has this great term. They call it hard fun. That's what learning is about. And um, I, I think it's very true what we're all wanting. Okay, well, look, we are about time to have a Q&A. If anyone would like to ask Lucy some questions, I just need to remind you that we, we don't want any statements. We would like some questions and we want to have a really good discussion. We know this is a topical issue. Um, but I think uh, this is, seems to be just the beginning of a discussion. I know the Opera House wants to be leading and driving this. Uh, okay, let's take our first question from the lady in white on number one. Um, hi, you'll have to excuse me because I'm sort of having performance anxiety right now. You're <laughs> having performance anxiety. Join the, join the queue. <laughs> oh my God. But, um, I pretty well ended up in your daughter's position 20 years ago. And so I was spat out of school and it's, it lasts for your whole life, that mm. sort of experience, because 20 years later I've got two gorgeous boys, eight and five, and I embarked on a life of performance culture. I've just performed, performed, performed. I've crescendoed with diagnosis of a mental illness. And each time you put on your armoury, you keep going. Mm. And I finally decided, Sam was starting year three, I'm going to let go and I can't worry about 20 out of 20 in spelling. Yes. I'm driving 50Ks to school with a notepad going, righto, mm. say it, boom, boom, laugh. Can you hear the phonogram? Because mm. I don't know anything else except performance, and that was from being at a lovely elite girls' school. Come on, 95. That's what you need to get around. Mm. So I just wonder whether is it just structural things, and I don't want to put more pressure on mums, no, because if it, you put this in a book, I'd go. How do I achieve that? No, it's, <laughs> no, it's a, it's an attitudinal shift. Yeah, you know, and, you and I think you it's mentioned you mentioned letting go, and I think <laughs> at a very personal level, um, that's very liberating. Yeah, um, and it has been. It's a relief. Yeah, it's like <laughs> but um, this and is I know what there's I, so many issues. Yeah, <laughs> there are so many issues. But this is what you know. I, this is what I get. I get so angry that individuals like you and so many people are tied up in knots dealing with um, a bad experience and spending a long time recovering from it. But yes, letting go of expectations is a really good start. Mm. And as a mum, that's what I mean, I don't want to take everyone's time mm. up, but as a mum, I think I'm optimistic because I still, my boys have a chance yeah. and I don't want to transfer my performance culture that I've created in my yeah. life onto them. But it's, I think it's also really important to speak to the school as yeah. well because, I, you know, I think we've all, we all need to feel like we have some agency <laughs> and um, ability to push back against the system and ask questions of the system. There are so many accepted wisdoms in education which um, we don't question. And I want, I want everyone to start questioning these accepted wisdoms. I, w I wonder if I've got time to read something quickly because it's right on this subject. Can I? Go for it. Yeah. You don't mind, do you? Waiting up this, there? It's right on the subject of, of accepted uh, 
wisdoms in education. It's from a Singapore uh, school principal who wrote... It's going around Facebook. Some of you might have seen it. Dear parents, the exams of your children will start soon. I know you are all really anxious for your child to do well, but please do remember that among the students who will be sitting the exams, there is an artist who doesn't need to understand maths, there is an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history or English literature, there is a musician whose chemistry marks won't matter, there is an athlete whose physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child does get top marks, that's great, but if she or he doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay, it's just an exam. They are cut out for much bigger things in life. Please do this, and when you do, watch your children conquer the world. One exam or low marks won't take away their dreams or talent. And please, please do not think that doctors and engineers are the only happy people in the world. <laughs> tell, them, tell them no matter what they score, you love them and will not judge them. With warm regards, the principal. Oh, isn't that lovely? No, 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 wait. No, wait. It's, yes, it's lovely, but... There's so much in here that requires examination. First of all, the kids who have not been doing well in exams probably already feel crummy. I mean, they've had years. So, so the physical athlete, he, no one cares about his physical athleticism. The musician, that's sidelined. Creativity's been sidelined. So, you know, this is all very, you know, lovely. It's a platitude. This is what I mean about pushing back the system doesn't value all these other things that this lovely principle tells the parents not to worry about because they're not measured. So, you know, this is what I mean about I want everyone to just push back against all these lovely mm. things. It is nice and it is true, but there's more. There's more work to do. Yeah. Number two up here. Hi, thanks so much for your talk. It's been really eye-opening. Um, you mentioned before that kids need to feel valued and really um, hone in on their strengths during schooling. And you said just now that we really need to question the system. Um, in your interviews and in your own opinion, do you have any suggestions or how young people themselves can inform this conversation? Um, speak up. Talk to the teachers, you know. To, I just think this conversation is vital um, and young people's voices are the most vital. And that I, that's what I, you know, I, I get frustrated with the um, public discussions I've been having because, you know, teachers are, have a really organised group and there are lots of, there's lots of research about teachers doing badly in the system, lots of research about um, principals doing badly in the system. There's not a lot, uh, enough about kids and I feel that kids don't have a voice, and that was a big driver in what I wanted to do with my book. But so find your voice, talk to, talk to people, um, push back. Thank you. Over here. Hi, I'm studying to become a teacher, and it's hard for me sometimes because I really want to be a teacher. Mm. And there are people in my degree program who really want to be teachers, mm. and then there are people who I think were those disenfranchised kids who don't care. Mm. They don't want to be teachers, and they don't like children. And they're not just at my university. Yeah. They are everywhere. And mm. when I speak to them and I ask them, why, you just, why aren't you just doing a general arts degree? They say, well, my parents said that I couldn't. I had to do teaching so that I could get a job. Mm. And as much as people assure me that, oh, they won't end up in the system, they some will. of them do. Yeah, they will. They're there. So what do we do to... to and they're the ones calling kids like my daughter stupid and lazy. And, yeah. yeah. So they're the ones punishing kids who need help. 
Yeah. Um, so, yes, they will get there and it's terrible. I don't know what the answer is. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> I don't have Any all the answers. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> when I was writing my book, I kept tying myself in, up in knots thinking, I've got to get the answer, I've got to get the solution. And my husband said, you know, you don't have to have all the answers and find all the solutions. You're starting a conversation. And so that was quite a liberation. I'm sorry, I don't have the answer to that. But it's a really important thing to think about because at the bottom of all of this is compassion for children. And, and you're obviously a compassionate person who should go into the system because you want to help kids learn. And um, there has to be something around the selection process. You know, why, where, you know, we need more than just getting the marks to get into a teaching course. Yeah. There has to be some sort of maybe, you know, interview process for teachers to get in. There's an answer. Thank you. <laughs> maybe there is. Question over is, here, number two in the red. Hi. Um, so just to give you some context, I'm 15. I just started year 10, although I'm doing a preliminary course for math. So I'm kind of I'm getting to the stage where I'm about to go into year 11 and 12, and it's very stressful. Everything is about ATAR. Like I had one of my friends the other day say that her parents said she needed a 99800. She said, oh, but I need to get at least 99.5. Like anything below mm. that is disappointment, which is crazy. Mm. Um, so I've been listening to what you've been saying today, and so much of it I just 100% resonate with, but I can't quite figure out how I come out of this school system as a person who can function in a job and not have breakdowns every second and just be a normal human being while still being able to get an ATAR that will get me into the course that I want to get into. So mm. what do you think? Well, first of all, I'm not worried about you. I think you're <laughs> going to be okay. <laughs> I think you're going to be just fine. So, you know, you're, I'm, yeah, you're going to be fine. But, the, the, I mean, this is, the, this is the culture, the clash of objectives with school. You know, getting a good education and getting an ATAR. And as you get closer to your um, year 12, you're going to feel the pressure. All I can say is keep some balance in your life. You know, make sure you make time for the things that you like to do that doesn't involve studying for maths. Mm -hmm. There's no time, but I'll try uh, and make time. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Back. Thank you. Thank you. Number one. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, I think what really resonated with me, I'm an early childhood teacher by trade, um, haven't been teaching for a little while now, um, but I now represent early childhood teachers. And so much of what you spoke about in terms of the utopia that we need to look towards and try and create for our education system. We've been doing that in early childhood education forever. Yes. 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 So I, I put down the challenge to those of you who are within the education system, maybe in, in primary or secondary schooling, if you haven't already, please make deep connections with your early childhood mm. counterparts because mm. they are doing this. They are focusing yep, on the whole creative. child, yes. a play-based approach. Yes. Mm the well-being of children. Mm. We're getting this right in early childhood, but mm. we, we do not yet have the recognition and mm. the respect that we deserve. Um, so for any of you, I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah. Please make those Great. connections. I, I did some really fantastic research, and congratulations to you. Thank you for your comment. Um, I did a lot of early childhood research in my book, and yes, obviously, it's a crucial, crucial time, and thank you very much for your... Mm. Question and your throwing down of the gauntlet. Yes. <laughs> Number two. 
Hello. Um, my temptation was to ask, what is your daughter doing? But actually, the question I really want to ask is, how is she doing? Thank you for your question. Um, she's OK. Yeah, she's OK. She's heading in the right direction slowly. It's hard, though. I mean, I know she's an amazing kid who couldn't find her strengths in the school system. And she will find them, and it will be in spite of her school experience, not because of it. And it shouldn't be that way. But she'll be OK. Thank you for asking. We've got two minutes left, so... OK, so, quickly. Um, so, just on a micro level, I think it can be quite hard for individual students and teachers and parents to um, take a step back and admit they're struggling within the school system just because we're fed this idea that if you're not pushing yourself to the absolute maximum, then you must be a failure. So, mm. I just want to ask, how do you open that discourse and start those conversations within your own families and with your teachers um, about asking for help without you know, stepping on that stigma of feeling like you're a failure? Yeah, well, I think asking for help is one of the really difficult parts of this whole issue is that, you know, people... You do feel like a failure if you, are, if you ask for help. I know my daughter found it really hard to ask for help. And, and if all behaviour is communication, which it is... I mean, she was asking for help in a number of very different ways and... I think adults in children's lives need to be alert to that idea that, you know, the way kids behave uh, is a type of communication in itself. Even if they're not saying, I need help, their behaviour, if they're going off like a klaxon, instead of trying to work out how to shut it down, work out how to fix the problem. And I know this is difficult um, for teachers who don't have time. I mean, finding, digging deep for compassion often takes time because you, you need to actually think a little bit further than just the naughty kid at the back of the class. But um, so I just, you know, it's difficult for everyone, I think, to um, find the answers when, you know, a child is having, finding things difficult. But, yeah, if you can, ask for help. I mean, but my daughter had a mentor at school that actually made her feel like she mattered. It, you know, it's really important to see if you can identify someone who you can connect with and um, feel that you've got a really good relationship. It can save, save a life. Mm -hmm. Last yeah. question. Really quick. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of system change and values, um, there was an experiment done in Finland about giving the universal basic income to a small community. And they found it wasn't the poor people who exploited the money. It was actually uni students and mums, young mums. The uni students spent more time working out what they wanted to do with their lives, and the mums actually spent that time with their children. And they found that this had ramifications on the crime and the education system. There was a lot less pressure on the education system to create the students you're talking about with agency and mm -hmm. being able to critically think. And so I was just wondering, is there a, a role of homeschooling and putting a value on getting parents to educate children the way that they always used to before it was an industrialised system. OK. Look, I, yeah, yes, I think there probably is a lot to be said for homeschooling. I didn't do any research in the homeschooling area because I wanted to stay within the system and look at the issues within the system. So I'm, I'm sorry I don't have mm -hmm. any answers. So <laughs> time has come to, to end today's session. Uh, Lucy, I just want to end with asking you, are you a different parent now? from this experience? Oh, um, 
Yes, yeah, yes, I think so. <laughs> I mean, how, I, how could I not be, really? It's been a really um, amazing journey. Um, probably, um, I, look, it's, it's really hard to fight against society's messaging around the way you talk to your kids about education, and I struggle. I have to debrief every day. Um, my son might disagree with this, not, not to nag him about his studying too much, not to put too much pressure on things. But um, So, yes, I have changed in that way, but I have also changed, uh, I think, as a thinker in terms of uh, questioning all these accepted wisdoms that we have in education and the need to, to really think hard about all, the, all those mm. things and understand that, you know, we face an uncertain future and that we all have a stake in, in changing education to fa face the challenges mm. of our future. Mm. Well, thank so. you for writing the book and thank, thank you. you. Thank you.